Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com/CSB1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. One thing I've learned from occasionally interviewing historians about people who've changed America is that really successful people can also be a little unusual. H.J. Hines was obsessed with numbers, which maybe is not surprising for someone whose company is famous for its 57 sauce. Hines kept track of how many steps churches had, how many people were in train cars with him. He didn't even like to have an uneven weight, so he had a hat that he'd wear to even things out if his weight was between pounds. Estee Lauder was obsessed with which hand of yours to demonstrate her creams on. She liked the right hand. She kept track of lighting. She kept track of placement of her makeup in stores. These people were anxious, and their compulsions were ways of coping with that anxiety. Sharon Bagley says that a compulsive behavior is one that is repeated and chronic, and it arises from a feeling of anxiety. She's the author of the book, Can't Just Stop, an investigation of compulsions, and a senior science writer at STAT, which is a news website focusing on health and medicine. She notes that anxiety has skyrocketed in America, eclipsing depression as a concern for adults. Sharon, thanks for coming into the studio. Thank you for having me. So, as I said, anxiety has gone way up. Does that mean to you that we are also experiencing more compulsive behavior, you know, like checking 10 times to make sure the stove is turned off or exercising compulsively? I wonder if these things go hand in hand. So studies, which are not great, but the best ones out there, suggest that about 6% of Americans are compulsive shoppers. One or 2% have a clinical diagnosis of OCD. And I use those two examples for one reason. OCD is a recognized psychiatric disorder. You know, there's a code for it on the insurance form. You can get treated for it. Your doctor can get reimbursed for it, etc. Compulsive shopping is not. So many of us have compulsions that are not recognized as mental disorders, and therefore they're not counted very well. Um, Research goes where the money is, and if something is not reimbursable um, for treatment, it just is not studied very much. So what the experts told me is that more and more of us are feeling anxiety and therefore are engaging in a compulsive behavior, Mm -hmm. but because that behavior is not a mental disorder, it is not very well counted or even studied. Let me give you just one little example. So there's a woman I spoke to for the book, and she is perfectly functional. She's a piano tuner. She's a mother. She's a wife. She has a wonderful life. But she is compulsive about how she keeps her home. Every bathroom towel has to be arranged just so. Every item in the pantry has to be organized and categorized and almost alphabetized. And what's the... Will she not leave her home if that's... If things are not right or like what... If things are not right, what happens? She feels, the, um, it was she who described this, sort of lava welling up in her chest. Mm. Um, she just cannot stand it. She has to put it right. And no, she will not leave the house mm. until she has put it right. Okay, so anxiety has gone up. Uh, compulsive behaviors have gone up. But for you know, for most people diagnosing, these do not cross into the realm of obsessive compulsive disorders. So this is not like, you know, what you would categorize as a medical affliction. Right. And that's an important point that I make in the book. Just because you have a compulsive behavior does not mean that your brain is broken. In fact, it can mean the opposite, that you are 
reacting to, that you are coping with, the events in your life, you know, the surround, in a very adaptive, i.e. helpful way. And the obvious example for all that, of course, are the digital compulsions, the electronic compulsions that so many of us have. And that is where compulsive behavior has just skyrocketed because, of course, these things did not exist 10, 15 years ago. I want to get to that, but a question here about where the line is. You know, you talked about this woman who's really obsessed with cleaning up her towels and stuff. And I think for a lot of people who have some little piece of some kind of compulsive behavior that they do, they wonder mm, what's okay and what's not okay. Um, I am a huge list maker. And if I think of something as I'm falling asleep that should be on my list, it's kind of hard to go to sleep because then I think I'll forget it. And then I don't, it, it kind of keeps floating around in there. So my solution has been have a pen and paper right next to my bed and then I can write it down and get it out of my head and it's there in the morning when I wake up. Um, bad? Is that compulsive or not yet compulsive? It doesn't cross the line. You know, do you know where's the line of like, ooh, that's not good? <laughs> that's good compulsive because you have figured out um, what is causing you anxiety, which is, uh-oh, I won't remember this when I wake mm. up in the morning. And you have figured out a way to deal with it. So psychiatry has not covered itself with glory in terms of figuring out what is and is not a mental disorder. The most infamous example, of course, is the uh, decades that the American Psychiatric Association called homosexuality a mental disease, right? So that was not good. And psychiatrists are very sensitive to over-medicalizing things, which are really just, you know, spots along the continuum, the spectrum of human behavior. I mean, you know, humans are a varied lot. So I will just defer to the experts and say that the difference between an eccentricity, a quirk, a sort of unusual behavior, and a mental disorder, to your point, when does it cross the line, is that if it is causing you distress or impairment, then it is a mental disorder. So distress is, you recognize this as, uh, I, obviously depression causes distress, so no no mm -hmm. question there. Um, impairment would be clearly with OCD. If you have to run to the restroom 100 times a day to wash your hands and your hands are now raw and bleeding, that obviously is impairment. If you have to keep checking to see if the stove is on, the front door is unlocked, so you're late to work all the time, that is impairment. So that's a very sort of um, mainstream conventional wisdom view of it, but I'm going to stick to it. Distress or impairment mm. is where mental disorder begins. You know, I talked about... Um people who have manifested compulsive behavior, some of them very, very successful people, not not to say that they had very happy lives, just that they were very successful people, you know, the people like um, Estee Lauder and H.J. Hines. And you talk about people, John Milton, you know, famous for writing Paradise Lost. Is there, do you think, some linkage between compulsion and sometimes success and sort of, you know, renown in your field. I'm glad you asked that because for many people um, who I spoke to as I was starting the book, the assumption was that compulsions are bad. They're crazy. They're, they wreck your life. So I was really um, interested in seeing whether that is true. So I do include a chapter in the book of people whose compulsions arguably helped them or helped the world. So just briefly, um, I include there people who donated a kidney to a stranger. Not all those cases are compulsive, but for many whom I spoke to, and I think I include two examples there, when I asked them, just why did you do that? Their description fit, the, fit that of a compulsion, i.e., when they read about people who were on the waiting list for a kidney and they knew that many of them would die before an organ was available, 
it did fill them with this anxiety that is the defining characteristic of a compulsion. And they just felt they could not sit there. They had to go out. They had to find the network that allows you to donate a kidney to a stranger. Mm. And they just absolutely had to do it. They just couldn't sit there. It really was like a burning sensation, a, you know, I couldn't sit still sensation. But much more common are people who feel compelled to we'll just call it work, to do whatever their field happens to be. Um, that can be literature. Um, Hemingway famously said, I feel like, you know, excrement when I don't write. Um, <laughs> I include the example of an artist who worked on one sculpture called The Rose for many, many years. She just felt she never got it right. And, you know, she was tortured. Her life definitely was not happy, but the world has this amazing work of art as a result. Hmm. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I started this book was just looking around the newsroom where I worked at the time and seeing how none of us then or now um, can go anywhere, including the restroom, without our smartphone, of course. So there, there clearly is a compulsion to keep checking because it is so crucial to our work. So a lot of the compulsions are really just fueling, um, you know, people's accomplishments. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller, and I'm talking with Sharon Begley, author of the book, Can't Just Stop, an Investigation of Compulsions. Is there an evolutionary reason why we have an inclination? Is there something deep within us that this is tapping into that in some ways, I mean, I assume is good for us or once was good for us. Absolutely. We are wired to be anxious because, you know, to make the evolutionary argument, those of our ancestors or predecessors who did not have a good antenna for what should make them anxious, they did not become our ancestors because they left no descendants. They were killed by the, you know, whatever, the saber-toothed tiger who, <laughs> you know, who they did not notice because the rattling of the the leaves or the the, the noise of the breaking twig did not make them anxious. There's a reason why we pick up on sources of threat, of danger, and the again, the perception of that is anxious. So absolutely, we are wired for anxiety. Some of us have overactivity in the anxiety circuit. It's called the OCD circuit. So there absolutely is both an evolutionary and a neurological, neurobiological explanation for so much of this. So let's get to that uh, big question that I think everybody wonders, which is, is checking your Twitter feed all the time, checking your emails, checking the news online just to see, has anything changed in the last 15 minutes? Is that compulsive behavior? It can be, um, and it can be destructive, again, if it fits the criteria of distress or impairment. If by checking all the time you are sabotaging your real face-to-face, real-life, social relationships, then yes. But the key to understanding um, these electronic or digital compulsions is that they have, and by they I mean the designers and just the way the, the whole industry has evolved, have tapped into something that is absolutely normal and functional in the human brain. And that is that we are just absolute suckers for a form of reward called intermittent and variable. The standard definition of those words, the rewards come now and then maybe not for 10 Mm. minutes. And then another one comes in five seconds. So you just can't predict when they're going to come. That description was originally applied to the old um, slot machines, the one-armed bandits. I was going to say, as you said that, it was making me think of a discussion I had with a scholar who studies gambling behavior. And the thing is, you win sometimes. Okay, maybe not enough, but you win sometimes. And that's so exciting. And it's the the people who create the machines throw it in there enough that like, 
keeps you going because you never know the next one you could win. You never know. You you get you know a lemon, a cherry, and a and a treasure chest. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then suddenly there are you know three jackpots in a row, and you go home from Vegas right. happy. Um, so that is exactly the reward structure in quotes of social media, of um, of email, of text, of of everything because. You know, maybe your friends are more interesting than mine, but I can go for a really long time without what I would say is a life-changing text from a friend or an email or whatever, like a long time, like hours, like possibly even days. And then suddenly you <laughs> I can just, easily go there days without a life-changing so, text. Um, um, <laughs> so, but then occasionally there actually is one from, you know, your child, your significant other, and you are awfully glad that you checked it within, you know, three seconds of its arriving. So we have, um, again, our brains are wired to be really, really sensitive to inter intermittent variable reward structures. And that is exactly how, um, you know, whether it's a post on an update on Facebook, a, a tweet, a, you know, whatever it happens to be. And that's why we can't stop checking. We might have checked five seconds ago. We might have checked five minutes ago. But that doesn't mean an amazing new one hasn't just come in. How did you first get interested in this topic of like anxiety and compulsions? And it, it was really nothing that um, everybody else hasn't observed. Um, it's exactly the compulsions that we're talking about, the, the electronic ones, the digital ones. Again, I worked in a newsroom and I saw that none of us can leave, can do anything without our smartphone. But the key thing to me was with more research, with the reporting and everything else, um, it became clear, and this goes back to one of your earliest points, that the reason we were doing that was not that we loved it. Mostly people don't love being attached to their smartphone. The reason they do it is because if they're not, they are just overwhelmed with anxiety. And that to me was striking because here's something that we do just all the time. It's ubiquitous, but it's not bringing us that much pleasure. Mm. It's I mean, I guess you can say if you stop banging your head against the wall, that feels good. But at base, it's not pleasurable. And that just to me was sad. Again, that's something that takes so much of our time is not pleasurable in and of itself. It instead is drawing away anxiety. And that's good, but it's not as good as it's really pleasurable. And then when this all really crystallized for me was when I came across a quotation from a British medical historian who said that um, every age gets the lunatics it deserves. So putting aside the problematic <laughs> word lunatic, his name is Roy Porter. And that to me was just very insightful um, in saying that, so in our age of anxiety, the behaviors that we are seeing are compulsive ones. Sharon Begley is the senior science writer at STAT. She's also the author of Can't Just Stop, an Investigation of Compulsions. Sharon, thanks for coming into the studio. Thank you so much. I mentioned at the beginning of this interview different conversations I've had over time about people who are great business minds, but a little bit obsessive. People like H.J. Hines and Estee Lauder. We've got links to those interviews on our website, innovationhub.org. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, working to unleash the immune system's power to fight cancer and help develop promising new therapies. Videos, white papers, and patient stories are available at discovercarebelieve.org.